0: Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Amos. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons in our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply send me an email at pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in Amos chapter 3 today, and let's just read that passage together. And see what the Lord has for us uh, in His word today. Amos 3, starting in verse 1, says, Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which He brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two men walk together unless they have an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he has captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there's no bait in it? Does a trap spring up from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not all the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? But the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod, and on the citadels in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria, and see the great tumults within her, and the oppressions in her midst. But they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. These who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels, therefore, thus says the Lord God, an enemy. Even one surrounding the land will pull down your strength from you and your citadels will be looted. Thus says the Lord, just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. Hear and testify against the House of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the Lord, I'm sorry, the Lord God, the God of hosts, for on the day that I will punish israel's transgressions, I will also punish the altars of Bethel. the horns of the altar will be cut off, and they will fall to the ground. I will also smite the winter house together with the summer house. the houses of ivory will also perish, and the great houses will come to an end declares the Lord. Let's pray over our passage this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask you to to speak to our hearts today. God, I thank you for the great gift of salvation you've given those who have trusted in Christ. And God, as we think about those who have received the grace of Jesus, help us to be responsible with that grace. Help us to Be the people that you've called us to be. God, speak to our hearts and minds this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable. And this parable is about a a servant who is waiting for his master. The master has gone off to a wedding feast. And he has been gone a long time. In fact, he's taking too long. And so the slave begins to take... um, inappropriate presumption in the master's house. He begins to beat the other slaves. He begins to drink and so much so that he becomes drunk. He thinks the, pa- the, the, the master isn't coming back for a long time but all when he least expected it all of a sudden the master returns And he's in trouble with the master, as you might understand, because he's mistreating the master's slave. He is indulging in the master's goods. And in in Luke 12, 47 and 48, Jesus says this. He says, And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it... And committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but a few. And here's the point. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they've entrusted much of him, they'll ask all the more. The idea that those who have been given much, much will be required has been popularized in the movies lately In Spider-Man movies, and I know you're all Spider-Man fans. And in every Spider-Man movie, an aunt or an uncle of Spider-Man is dying. And before they die, they say this, with great power comes great responsibility. Here's a young man who's received superpowers and he can do a lot. And they said, if you've been given much, what they're saying is this biblical principle, much is required of you. Now, Jesus isn't talking about power. He's talking about what has been given. And the principle, the spiritual principle that much has been given to those who much has been given to spiritually, much will be required from. This is the theme of Amos 3. Of those who have been given much, the Lord is going to require much. These are God's people. This is Israel. Granted, it's the northern ten tribes of Israel, but they are still God's people. These are the people who at Sinai, God made a covenant with and said, I will walk with you. I will be your God. And they said, we agree. We will follow after you. These are the covenant people that God brought out of Egypt. These are the ones he gave his law to. The temple resided with his people where his presence was. There was a lot that God gave to Israel in in contrast to the other nations. And in Amos 3, God is telling his people, for those who have been given much, much will be required. And the lesson that Amos gives us in the 8th century BC is just as valid and as relevant to his people who are living 2,800 years later in the 21st century. To those who have been given much, much is going to be required. That is the message that we find here. We have been given, Christ follower, believer today, we have been given much, far greater, then even Israel, the, in Ephesians it says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. God has opened up heaven and rained down his blessing upon those who have trusted in Christ. We have been given much and much will be required from us. So what is going to be required of us? Well, we see a couple things here. In Amos, let's look through those. There's more than this. We can go to Micah. Micah uh, that says, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. There's lots that the Lord requires of us. But here in Amos, we're going to look at three different things. And the first that the Lord requires of those that he has been given much is this. We need to be responsible with the grace of God. Look in verse 1 and 2. We need to be responsible with the grace of God. It says, Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Amos has left his life from down south shepherding and being a cattleman and being an orchard cake taker care of person you know a fig picker I say and he has followed the call of God he's left that and he's followed the call of God to the northern tribes to preach and he says hear the word of the Lord he says it in chapter 3 verse 1 he says it in chapter 4 verse 1 and he says it in chapter 5 verse 1 hear this word of the Lord He's going to give three important messages. And this word here isn't simply saying, make sure you listen to the words. It is a command to not only listen, it's a command to understand, to internalize this, and to act upon it. It's the difference when you tell your kids if you want them to listen to the words you're saying or hear the words. That is, I, I, know, you li- I know you're listening. I know you, you hear the words, but I want you to do what I say. This is the difference. The word here is doing what God has called here. Hear this word of the Lord. He wants us to act. And he talks about the privileges that have been given to Israel. The first privilege, it says he's chosen them in Abraham. In Abraham, he chose them. We can go to Genesis chapter 12, and we can read about Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham. And we hear that of all the nations, in all the world, and all the people, God picked out Abraham and says, I'm going to choose to bless you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. All the nations are going to be blessed in you. And I'm going to give you land. Now, remember, Abraham is an old man. Him and his wife hadn't had any children. And God says, I'm going to make you so populous, you're going to be a nation. And sure enough, when he was 100 years old, the woman was 90, ladies, she had a baby. They had one child, the promised son Isaac. And then Isaac lived his life. And at 60, guys, they had twins. How many of you at 60 would love to have baby twins in the house? Isaac had twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob's name was turned to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons. And they began to have sons and daughters. And it says at the end of genesis that 70 of this clan walks into egypt this family that is 70 people strong walk into egypt god chose abraham not because abraham was awesome in fact joshua 24 2 says abraham was an idolater he worshiped foreign gods and god says i know who abraham is But I'm going to choose him anyway and I'm going to make him a nation. I'm going to bless him. And he chose them. And through Abraham, Israel became a blessed nation. So much so that in the Abrahamic covenant it says anyone who blesses you, Israel, will be blessed. And anyone who curses you is cursed. A blessing that's still current and relevant to today. He chose them in Abraham, and that word "chose there, where he says, you, "In you only have I chosen it is the word to know Among all the nations. He, God knew all the nations, but he says, "I really knew Abraham. I knew who Abraham was. I knew he was an idolater, I knew he wasn't a follower of me, but I chose him. And the scripture says, "Abraham, what? Believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness." God said, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham says, I believe what you say. And God injected righteousness into Abraham's account. He chose Israel and Abraham. He chose to to bless the descendants of Abraham. And if the descendants of Abraham would say, I believe what God has to say, that his covenant says that if we do what he says, we'll be blessed. And if we don't do what he says, we won't be blessed. I believe that He, um, what, what he says. And if the descendants say, I believe what he says, then they will receive the blessings of Abraham. That is the idea. God would inject righteousness into their account. It is by faith that we are saved, the scripture says. By grace through faith is what I mean. He chose them in Abraham. And then we also see a privilege they had. They were freed from Egypt. They were freed from Egypt. He freed them from the land of slavery. Exodus is the key event in Israel's life. You cannot read the Old Testament without understanding how critical the exodus was to the people of God. They were in slavery for 400 years. 70 people went into Egypt. 400 years later, God redeemed and set free over a million people. A nation comes out. They had been slaves for 400 years, generation after generation after generation, just understood that when you were born, you lived, and you died a slave, and there was no hope of getting out. And then God shows up and says, I am going to free you because I've chosen you in Abraham. And if you believe, I'll inject righteousness into your account. He set them free and he moved them and guided them and directed them to the promised land that he had set aside for them. He had chosen them in Abraham, he freed them in Egypt, and he made them a nation. Like I said, a little clan of 70 people went in, a nation comes out of Egypt. And they become their own nation. Eventually, yes, they say, we want a king Against, they, they, we don't want God ruling us. We want to be like the nation. So God gives them a king. And that king Saul doesn't work out. But then David comes on and he gives them a righteous king for 40 years. Yes, David had his problems. But, but God said, a king like David will come along. Sometime, pointing to Christ. And they became a nation. God had blessed them. He, and, and there's so much more, right? But he had chosen them in Abraham. He had freed them from slavery, and he had made them a nation. And they were irresponsible with what God had given them. And so he says in verse 2, therefore, all that's packed up, all these blessings. He says, I have chosen only you among the families of the earth, of all the clans, of all the tribes, of all the nations. I chose you, Israel, to bless. And they were irresponsible with that. Therefore, he says, I'm going to punish your iniquities. That word iniquity is the word perversity, depravity, moral evil. It's from a word that means bent and twisted like a, like a branch that gets all bent and twisted. It's, it's the idea of, that's what the idea of perversion is. There was God's law and they bent it and twisted it to what they wanted it to say so that they could live how they wanted to. And God says, You cannot do that. You cannot use my grace as a license to sin. Yes, you are my people, but if you're not going to be responsible with the grace that I have given you, then there's going to be consequences. You must be responsible with the grace of God. Listen, here's what the scripture tells us in Galatians 3, 7 and 3, 9, that we have been chosen in Abraham. Anyone in Christ... If you've been chosen, I mean, if you have, if you have, if you are in Christ, if you've chosen to trust Christ, you have been injected into Abraham's line. You are one of Abraham's family and the blessings that come through Abraham come to you. Israel is Israel. The church is the church, but the church has been grafted in the scripture tells us. And those in faith of Jesus Christ are sons of Abraham. They are blessed with Abraham, it says. See, we have been chosen in Abraham. We have been set free. Scripture says we've been made a royal priesthood, a holy nation as the church. We have been given lot. We've received the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sins. We have been given eternal life, not just when we die, but from the moment we trust in Christ, we have eternal life. When, when we come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit now indwells us. We don't have to go to the temple. We are the temple of God, the scripture says. We have been given much and so, the principle for us 2,800 years later is this unique privilege means unique responsibility. Unique privilege means unique responsibility. Christ follower, you've been given a unique privilege, different than any other person on the planet and that is to say those who don't have Christ don't receive this privilege those who know Christ they receive this special privilege and with that comes a unique responsibility so we read 1 Peter 4:10 and 1 Peter 4:10 tells us this As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as, look what it says, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word manifold can be multifaceted. There's lots of ways to look at the grace of God. There's lots of stuff, lots of good things, lots of blessings that come through the grace of God. It's manifold in its its manifestation to us. And we must be good stewards of that, good managers of that. So do you manage God's grace well? Or do you say, thank you, Lord, for my get-out-of-hell-free card. I'm not going to go to hell, but I'm going to waste your grace in living how I want to live. Because this is what Israel was doing. We're God's people. So what if we're being idolatrous? So what if we're abusing the poor? So what if we're living how we want to? We're God's people. What's he going to do? And God says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. This is a message not to the Philistines, not to Assyria, not to Egypt. This is a message to God's people saying, you cannot be irresponsible with the grace of God. Do you share the grace of God that he has given you? One way to be responsible is that he hasn't given us this just to hoard it. We are to give it to others and share our faith with other people and tell them, listen, you know, without Christ, life doesn't make sense. Life is, it's not, it's not necessarily rainbows and lollipops with Christ. Sometimes it's difficult to walk the, Christ, the, the, the path that Christ has for us. But it's better and it's good. We need to be responsible with the grace God has given us. That is one thing that he's calling them to. The second thing we see he's calling them to is this. We need to respond to the call of repentance. We need to respond to the call of repentance. He uses right here seven, as we're following in in Amos, he uses seven rhetorical questions, five of them, are the obvious answer no, and two of them are the obvious answer yes. And he uses these to bring this idea um, that he, he leads us to these, this inescapable conclusion that we must repent when we are going our own way. That repentance is key in the life of those who are going to follow after the Lord. That is to say, if there is no repentance in a person's life, then they're not following after the Lord. Repentance means I'm going my way, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to leave that and go toward the Lord. That is repentance. And so what we read here, the call to repentance, the reason he gives this is first, every sin has a consequence. Every sin has a consequence. This is a lesson we must understand and know. It's a preventative warning and sometimes it's, it's a reactive warning. We, we sin and we have to suffer the consequence. But ideally, this is a warning to say, do not go down the path of sin because every sin has a consequence. Look what it says in verse 3 through 6. This is a series of rhetorical questions to help us understand that for every, that, that there's a cause and effect going on here. And he starts off with something pretty innocuous. He first says, do two men walk together unless they've made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when it has no prey? Does a young lion growl from its den unless it's captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there's no bait in it? Does the trap spring up from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? There is cause and effect in these, in these questions. There's two people who are walking together, and you see two people walking down the road together. What can you infer? This is the question. Let me, let me say it this way. It's a, um, this gentleman over here is my friend Guy Eberts. I've known Guy since I was eighth grade. There you go. Last night, we had dinner together and caught up because I haven't seen him in 30, 35 years. And we caught up with stuff. Now, if you walked into the restaurant and you saw us sitting there, what could you infer? That we just happened to bump into each other. Well, that can happen. That could happen. You can bump into people. But you could probably infer there were plans made, right? Said, okay, we're going to be here at this time and let's go here. and, And there were plans that were made. There was an agreement. That's what he's saying. If two men are walking together, there was an agreement. They had an appointment. Yahweh and Israel had agreed to walk together. At Sinai, they stood there around the mountain. Moses came down and said, this is the law. And they all said, amen. Let it be. So be it. And they agreed to the law of the Lord. And they walked together. And Israel said, I'm not going to walk that way any longer. There's cause and there's effect. He says, if there's a lion that roars or a lion growls, what can you infer, what can you guess is going on there? Well, if a lion's roaring or a a lion's growling, he's got his prey and he's trying to keep others away from it. He is, he is holding on, especially the one that says the young lion is growling. You can see a, a lion having his prey and another lion coming up. And he goes, get away, this is mine, right? Israel has walked away. We've already heard that Yahweh roars from, from Jerusalem. And it's saying Israel is Yahweh's prey and no one else is going to get at it. Whatever happens is going to be the Lord's doing on Israel. There is cause and effect. He goes on to say, hey, if there's a bird that gets in the trap or if there's an animal that gets in a trap, what can you infer? You can infer the trap work. The bait's good, right? You go fishing all day, you don't catch anything, you might change bait, <laughs> right? To lure something in. It says that when there is something in the trap, the trap worked. And the bait worked. And it's saying here, Israel had been lured into sin with idolatry. Israel had been drawn in by the lure of sin and now they are trapped. And so he's using these basic things to move to a more important, we move to people in the next rhetorical question. It says, when somebody, when when the trumpet is blown, will not the city in the people, the people in the city tremble when people hear the predator is coming the enemy is coming the prey become afraid and amos is standing in samaria's city square saying judgment is coming because you have lived in in broken covenant with the lord When they hear that trumpet sound, the people should be trembling. When Amos is speaking and he's telling him this is coming, it should scare the people. Instead, they might have been walking by and laughing at the street preacher, right? Or I don't have time for what he's saying. I'm going to go the other way. And no one listened to him. And then finally, he says this as the final cause and effect. And he says, if there's a disaster in the city... What's the cause of that? Look what it says in the last part of verse 6. If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? And they look back and look at Samaria and in 35 years, Samaria, from this message, 35 years or so, Samaria is going to be gone. And they could look back and say, was this human error? Was this bad politics? Was this just some sort of coincidence and god says no when the city's destroyed god is the cause of it god is sovereign i don't know how that applies to cities that get wiped out by hurricanes in today's world god is sovereign it says if there's calamity that occurs in the city has not the lord done it could it be that that there is there is a message god is trying to get out to us there are some natural disasters that happen. That happens. Here's, here's a hint. You live in Florida, you're going to have hurricanes. Just saying. That's kind of, the, that's kind of natural. But God is completely sovereign. And that is the point here. Israel's past and present disasters, the wars that they faced, the famines that they were going to be facing, they were not simply accidents. They were not human errors. They were not, again, because of bad politicians. It was God and his sovereignty caused these things to happen to call his people back from rebellion. He was wanting them to respond to the call of repentance. Every sin has a consequence. That's what we're seeing here. The cause and effect is taking these normal things in life and saying, I see that there's a, if two guys walk together, they made some plans. If there's a, tra- a bird in a trap, that means the bait is working and the trap worked. And if people hear there's an enemy coming and the trumpet's blown, they're going to be afraid. And so when the judgment of the Lord comes for living In sin, it should not be afraid. Every sin has a consequence. We cannot believe, church, that we can live our life the way we want to live, do the things that our flesh desires, and not think there is something to pay for that. There is a cost to it. But here's the good news. God graciously warns of the coming judgment. Yes, every sin has a consequence, but God warns us about the coming judgment. Look in verse 7 and 8. It says, Surely that God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophecy? Amos is saying, I'm not standing here just wasting my breath. And out here just trying to warn you people because I have nothing better to do. He's saying God has told me to come and tell you judgment is coming. Because that is the gracious, the graciousness of our God. In spite of who Israel had become. The northern kingdom was involved in idolatry. We'll get to that in a minute. They had broken their covenant. They were... They were trying to accumulate as much for themselves as they can. And in spite of all that, God sent the northern kingdom prophets to warn them. He sent them no other than, none other than Elijah, right, to the northern kingdom. Elisha. He has Amos the final one is Hosea and even at the end of Hosea you read Hosea 14 and God is saying if you will turn and come back if you will turn and come back to me I will forgive you please come back Our God is a gracious God and he gives us warnings and Israel refused to respond to the call to repentance we are to respond to the call of repentance. So, our application for the 21st century is this. There are consequences for, not, for, for refusing to repent. Last week, I spent the week really grieving over those who I know have heard the gospel. They have heard the truth of Scripture. They have felt the graciousness of God through the body of, the, of believers They have have heard and received the grace of God and they refused to repent. Because the consequences aren't simply here. There are eternal consequences for refusing to repent. In Luke 13, Jesus is talking to people and he says, in Luke thirteen three, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. If you're living your life and going your way and you refuse to turn, there is no forgiveness. There is no eternal life. There is no hope in Christ unless we turn and go toward the Lord. There is no path to the Father without repentance. In God's economy, that's the way it works. He says, I want you to turn to me. And when we do, there's, there's good consequences. There are blessings that we receive. There are gifts that are given to us. There is eternal life and forgiveness and hope. Do you know they're to throw a party in heaven when we repent? Did you guys know that? Luke 15.10, it says in Luke 15.10, in the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. When one person says, I'm done living my life and I'm turning, and I'm giving everything to God, heaven throws a party and says, woohoo, there's somebody else who are, who's gonna follow after the Lord. There are consequences for refusing to repent. There are good consequences for those who decide, I give up, and I go after the Lord. What are we required? We're to be responsible with the grace of God. We're to respond to the call of repentance. And last thing, is we should not doubt the comprehensive nature of God's judgment. Comprehensive nature of God's judgment. 9 through 15 sums up up things for Israel. Israel was supposed to be a testimony of the grace of God. We read Deuteronomy 4, and God says, you are to be a light to to the other nations. The other nations should look to Israel and say, look how wise Israel is. Look how good their God is. Their God is, so clo- their God is so close to them. And he's given them their, his word. They should, there just should be that kind of testimony. The people of God should have been that kind of testimony to the rest of the world. And now they are testimony not of the grace of God. But they are, they are testimony to the judgment of God. Look what it says in verse 9 and 10. In verse 9 and 10, it says this, Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod. That's Philistia. That's the Philistines. And on the citadel in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressions in her midst. But they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. These who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. Essentially, God's saying, hey, Philistia, hey, Egypt, I know you guys were past oppressors of Israel, but what you want to do is gather around and look at Israel because if you want to know how to do oppression, they're going to put on a master class on what it means to oppress people. God's people were oppressing God's people. And so he says, he calls the nations around and said, look at this sin. Look what's going on in them. You could learn something about sin from these people. Instead of being a testimony of God's grace, they were a testimony of evil and the judgment that God was going to come, that was going to come upon them. And so he says, therefore, therefore, in verse 11, because they're a testimony of evil, because they're giving lessons on rebelling, Because they're a sin in their life, there's punishment that's going to come and it's going to be comprehensive. He says it's going to first, they're going to lose their fortified camps. Look in verse 11 and 12. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an enemy, even one surrounding the land, that would be Assyria, in about 30, 40 years after Ramus' message, will pull down your strength from you and your citadels will be looted. They had strongholds, big, strong military strongholds, and they would not hold out against the judgment of God. Assyria would come in and tear them down. They'd been hoarding all their ill-gotten gains that they've had from taking money from the poor and putting it into these citadels. And and uh, God says... All that is just judgment being stored up for you and those are all gonna be torn down. Their military strength is not going to be taken from them. In fact, he says in verse 12, just as a shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria will be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. In, In Exodus 22, 13 when, when there was a shepherd who was watching someone else's sheep and, and that sheep would got caught by a, by a lion, that shepherd was to take as much as he could of that lamb. He used to take evidence back to the shepherd saying, I didn't steal your sheep. That's why you're missing one because here's his ear. Here's his leg. I didn't take it. The lion did. And I tried to fight it off. And this is all I got left. What Israel's going to do, what's gonna, what God's going to do to Israel Is that it's gonna be so complete, all they're gonna have is scraps. They're gonna have a piece of a bed here, kind of a scrap of blanket here, and they're gonna be homeless and attacked and nowhere to go carrying their scraps of their opulence. God says they're just I'm gonna wipe them out. It's gonna be complete. There's gonna be nothing left. They're going to lose their fortified camps. They're going to lose their false religion. It says in 13 and 14, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares, and this word, this this title for God, Lord God, the God of hosts. That is Adonai Yahweh, Lord Yahweh, the God of armies. For on that day, I'll punish Israel's transgression. I'll punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and they'll fall to the ground. Israel had, the northern kingdom had idolatry from the very beginning. Their first king set up temples, put golden calves in them and said, this is your God, worship them. They were idolatrous from the very start. And every king that the northern kingdom had promoted that idolatry. They were all evil kings. When you read scripture, they were all evil. Think Ahab, right? If you know your Bible history, think Ahab. It says, I'm going to go to Bethel. That literally means house of God. But it wasn't the house of Yahweh. It was the house of their God. Bethel was the headquarters of one of these temples where the golden calf was at. It was a Sanctuary to Baal. It was serving Satan is what it was. When we read Corinthians, Paul tells us that idols are simply demons. They were worshiping Yahweh's enemy. And God says, this might give you comfort, but I'm going to remove it from you. He removed their fortified camps. He's going to cut down the altars and they're going to lose their false religion and they're going to lose their fancy homes. Look in verse 15. I'll also smite the winter house. Together with the summer house, the houses of ivory will also perish, and the great houses will come to an end. Notice how houses is in every stanza. And the great houses will come to an end, declares Yahweh. They had had ill-gotten gains, remember? They They were selling poor people because the poor people owed them money for a pair of sandals. And they said, can you pay me back? Nope, then I'm gonna sell you. And they took that money and they bought a ivory inlaid headboard for their bedroom. And then they had someone else who owed them money and they, 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 would, or, or they would make their scales work wrongly for the poor and they take advantage of the poor. They make money off them and they go make a down payment or make a payment on their second home stealing this money from the poor people. And God says, no more. They're going to lose their fancy homes. There's a consequence. The consequence is that they're going to lose everything. And here is the application for today and and what we're going to somewhat end with, and it's this. The unrepentant will lose all in the judgment of God. The unrepentant will lose all in the judgment of God. If you've never repented, if you've never turned from your own lusts and your own desires and your own ways to God, the unrepentant will lose all in the judgment of God. Hebrews tells us this. The book of Hebrews in verse 10. Last verse I'll read to you guys. Verses. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is no, longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Look what it says. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing if you have not repented, if you've not turned from your own ways, and you go on sinning, and, and you, you will not listen to the word, you say, I do not need Jesus. I can do my own thing. I will not conform to the mind of Christ. If this is where you're at today, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The call is to repent, to turn, and not be irresponsible with the grace of God. And here's the good news. The good news is this. Romans 8, 1 says that in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the simple response question for you today is this. Have you ever repented and turned and given your life to Christ? I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. Have you ever said I'm putting my agenda and my desires and my whatever, I'm going to put it on the altar and I'm going to let God consume it. And I'm going to chase hard after Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, you can do that today. It's simply saying, confessing you're a sinner. God, I am a sinner. I know I need you. I admit that I have not followed after your word. And God, I want you to come into my life, take control of my life, and make me the person you want me to be. I turn from my old ways and turn toward you. The scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For those who are believers, we cannot continue sinning willfully and treading under the gift of Jesus Christ. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But our goal is to be more and more like him every day. Is that the call of your heart? Heavenly Father, I come to you and ask that you would speak to our heart. God, as we think about these tough questions that we come across in Amos that are warnings to your people, God, I feel convicted probably more than, than most. How many times a day do we just take for granted the good grace that you have poured out upon us All of us got up this morning and faced a new day because you decided we should. Thank you, Lord. Every one of us had a place this morning where we left from, a safe place. We came here. We have a place where we can worship you freely. Thank you for that. God, you have given us Jesus Christ. So that when we trust in him, our sins would be washed away completely. Our past, present, and future sins washed wholly away and completely stand forgiven before you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the spirit who indwells us, empowers us, directs us, seals us for salvation. God, thank you for all the blessings. Help us not be irresponsible with the grace that you've given us. God, help us respond To the call of repentance, help us understand that when we don't, the judgment will be complete and comprehensive. And let that be someone's impetus to turn to you today and know that there is no condemnation for those. God, God, work among us and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org.